healthcare. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves. Nearly a two-word review just said, shit sandwich. I will roll the record up to the last minute. That right there is a lot of Welcome back to the Basement Film Music Lovers. You are now tuned in to yet another exciting adventure with us here on Chunky Glasses, the podcast. I'm just Kevin, as usual, and uh, finishing off this week, we have for you a very special episode of our Discologist series. Now, I say very special because uh, the whole point of this Discologist thing is to talk about albums uh, from our past. We, uh, we come down here. We maybe have a few drinks. Uh, this time it was coffee, provided by the wonderful Timothy and Burnside, and um, and sort of dig into albums that may or may not have been a hit with us when we were younger, and try to contextualize them both then and now, and really really nerd out on the stuff. And for this one, what I found was that uh, Lenny Kravitz's "Are You Gonna Go My Way" was an album that hit squarely when I was in college so many years ago. And um, it hit me in a completely different way in 2018 than it did then. And it is now one of my favorite albums of all time. Uh, and that can happen to you for any album. But it was, it was a complete surprise for me. to, to We knew we were going to do this um, just because it's 25 years old. It was an important album. And for it to sort of hit me in this way was just, uh, it, it was magical. It's why I love music. It's why uh, I love going back through music. It's why I'm a music nerd. I mean, that is that is the definition. So uh, pair that with getting to uh, listen to the nice remaster of NXS's Kick yesterday. It was a pretty good day for taping. Uh, never mind the fact to get to hang out with my good friends Marcus Dowling and Timothy Ann Burnside. So uh, that's what we're doing for this episode here. We're going to give you a lot of background on Lenny Kravitz, and then we're going to give you a lot of music. Uh, maybe you remember it. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're maybe you're a little younger listening to this and you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Well, it's Lenny Kravitz. He's one of the biggest rock stars on the planet. Uh, you probably know him from Hunger Games, but uh, at, back in the day in 1993, he dropped I, I think one of the possibly greatest albums of all time, No Hyperbole. So let's head on down to the basement and get cracking uh, with my friends Marcus and Timothy talking about Lenny Kravitz's third album and maybe his best. Are you going to go my way? Yeah, let's do it. Back to talk about... If we've got crews, which crew is this? We have country crew. We have jazz crew. Um, I'd say this Can is... we call it the Rhythm Nation crew? I don't know, because we're not talking about Rhythm Nation crew. But well, I mean, Rhythm Nation captures everything. It does. Well, Rhythm Nation is everything. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it captures everything. It is. It is. I mean, I guess. when you die, you go to the light, and then there's Janet. <laughs> Rhythm Nation. Well, I would say I would say next to Janet, or maybe a little bit in the back, hmm? slung back, and you know, low cut, you know, trouser slacks, and you know, a nice <laughs> pair of cowboy boots. Yeah, yeah. Is is this guy? Okay. Okay. When you get up, when you get up to the light. 
Would okay. you agree? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I think this album makes a strong case for it. Yeah. I think um, yeah. Trouser slacks or leather pants. Is it, I'm going to go I'm, with leather pants. I mean, those, now, are, two, those are, are two are, separate eras. Are, I think he was still in trouser slacks at this point. It doesn't matter. I'm still going to go with leather pants. Are we talking leather <laughs> pants that are like the smooth leather pants or leather pants that have the uh, faux uh, snake skin like stitched in? So it looks I'm going like... to say leather pants that have burst open and are showing off his nether regions. As happened whoa, in life. Whoa, whoa, no. No, we don't have to go that far. I mean, this just, this just podcast like, has an e on it, but not like that. There's there's a, there's, some, there's a photo shoot he did where he's like lounging on a bed with mm-hmm. no shirt, and he's wearing I think leather pants and like the buttons just unbuttoned. Okay, of course. I think that's the okay. Is that, is that, is that the, sig- the signal for just in case, ladies? <laughs> <laughs> just in case. I'm not mad at it because look, guys, don't do that when you go out in public or you know, really <laughs> anywhere. Uh, we're talking about Lenny Kravitz, yes. which is something unexpected. I didn't. Ever uh, on this podcast, honestly, this is true. I didn't ever expect to talk about Lenny Kravitz, but since we started doing these uh, discologist series and celebrating old albums, I found that uh, there's a lot of stuff I actually do want to talk about uh, for a lot of people in revisiting um, his album, Are You Gonna Go My Way, which is now 25 years old on the 9th of this month of March, which I think this comes out on the 9th. So, you know, good on scheduling or something. Um, you know, I. I was talking to you, Timothy, about this, that in 93, when this album came out, uh, he had established, he was a pop star at that point. He was out there, had two albums under his belt. I didn't feel it to be that much the jam that I, uh, upon revisiting it, I have found it to be. If uh, Janet Jackson, Rhythm Nation was the best album in 2017, this may be the best album of 2018. Uh, I want to, you know place this and play a little song before we really dive into this. In 1993, uh, we just did a thing on Pablo Honey Radiohead. Yes, we did. So you got the Brit Rock coming going on. And actually, you have the sort of the tail end of grunge, pop grunge. Uh, my least favorite album of all time, Siamese Dream by the Smashing Pumpkins is out. That ruined everything. Uh, but you also have Ooh. Nirvana, Yin Euro, Doggy Style yes. by Snoop Dogg changed everything. Uh, and you have smaller albums like The Breeders' Last Splash, Exile and Guyville. Liz Fair is, oh. out, is out that year, uh, reaching a new refutation of time and space, Diggable Planets, uh, Tools Undertow. So you have all these albums that are like really changing. Like out of all those, they they set forth different subgenres within this whole weird music thing that was going on in MTV and stuff. But then you have Lenny Kravitz, who uh, has been at this point accused of of sort of wearing his influences too hard on his sleeve. And and he comes out, uh, the first single was Are You Gonna Go My Way? But then there was a second single that I want to start with because, uh, yeah, yeah he, he, he was wearing them on his sleeve, but but maybe uh, you, you don't understand all the influences where they come from. So this is a little bit of belief.
Leonard Albert Kravitz, uh, you, sir, are ripping off the Beatles, who then ripped off you. <laughs> uh, but, the, you know, that that is in 1995, a few years later, the Beatles put out, uh, was it the Ones collection? or the? It was, it was uh, off the anthology. 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 Yeah, it was called Anthology. It was a big series. And they, they put together, cobbled together pieces of, of a um, of uh, abandoned, unfinished, be- uh, unfinished Beatles yeah. song. And, like, that's the aesthetic. That is that is mm-hmm. exactly what it is. Um you know, I, I mentioned that he is a person who people have accused of wearing his influences on his sleeve, maybe being overwhelmed by him, overpowered by him. But you have to remember um, that, you know, whereas you're hearing stuff like Jimi Hendrix, John Lennon, uh, you're also Curtis Mayfield, Sly and Robbie, and Prince. Stevie. Stevie in mm-hmm. there. You know, these all this this whole idea that rock and roll was necessarily like white person's music, we know it was wrong. It's stolen from black culture. And for it to come back around, it's like, and maybe that's why I didn't understand it in 1993 or it resonated as much because I was just like, literally, if you heard it back then, for me, it was just like, hey, this is the Beatles. Hey, this is Jimi Hendrix. Right, hey, but you is- were listening to the Beatles. You had been yes, exposed absolutely. to the Beatles. Absolutely. The, the types of audiences that the label was probably trying to market this to most likely were not yeah. familiar with the Beatles. Okay. Um, which is a really interesting, yeah. you know, Kind of you, those of us in this room mm-hmm. <laughs> hear hear everything about the Beatles in that song, and we you know approach it with a different perspective. But if you're marketing this in 1993 to mainstream rock listeners, and he's a black artist, and he's already faced, as you said, this kind of you know adversity when it comes to like with Let Love Rule, people were mm-hmm. like, you know, he's not being original enough. And so he comes out with this record and he's like very clearly stating what his influences are, but yet critics are not willing to give him the same treatment as they would a white rock artist um, in the, in regards to like, oh, well, he's st- like, it's just, it's this really interesting concept of, you know, having, accusing a black artist of stealing rock and roll from white bands mm-hmm. who got it from black artists. Which, which, which is to say, which is, music, just, which is to say music journalism apparently hasn't changed in 20 years. Okay. Yeah, Marcus I, yeah. is like waiting no, to come no, in on this. No, he's, 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 he's like literally no, on the edge of his it's seat. Like, no, because it's, it's. I just I thought about this if only because I I physically saw Donnie Simpson this morning at the the Barry yeah, the MC, and there will always be a thing with like let love rule, and then with uh, are you gonna go my way, and then like believe in these these singles. When the Lenny Kravitz single would come out, and I listened to primarily black radio, black urban top forty radio. They'd always get a push because mm-hmm. every black person knew in music that Lenny Kravitz is a genius. So you're like, okay, you, you get the big push. Like, there's the new song from Lenny Kravitz. Lenny Kravitz is a rock god. He's like Jimi Hendrix, this. You'd hear all mm-hmm. this stuff. And then the song would play. 
And when you would try to tell your, like, when I would try to tell my black friends that Lenny Kravitz was, like, the god. And, like, he's just everything that I liked because I grew up loving metal. Like, I grew up loving hair metal. Right. And so it was, like, white dudes making rock and roll. And I was like, this is cool. But when I would see Lenny Kravitz, who, like, had my skin tone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, his voice sounded like mine. And he dressed the way he dressed. And women universally loved him. I was like... Okay, this is my guy. But everybody else was like, why does he look like that? Why does he sound like that? Mm -hmm. This sounds like literally like you have to understand like in this era now, because indie rock is a thing and we've had like, you know, like two generations of indie rock. These songs make sense to people. But in an era where like black radio and white radio and black people and white people in the marketplace are completely separated. Yeah. Lenny Kravitz is like right in the middle. So it's like, oh, it's a step too far for the average urban black radio listener to make the leap to liking him in a massive sense. I, I think mm. people considered it, is, especially like record labels, considered they, they didn't know whether his music was black enough or whether it was white enough. Oh, absolutely. And to that point about separation and stuff, you have to remember we don't have, uh, we don't have the internet at that point. No. We, well, we barely have the internet. We certainly don't have streaming music. We do have MTV, but there's, as we know, there's not a lot got, of mixing of stuff yeah. like that. And even though Kravitz largely worked, I mean, his first album was kind of an independent release, even though it was on label. Uh, people didn't know what to do with him, so they just left him alone. And and Romeo it, Blue, yeah, <laughs> and, and and so he shows up on on with these mega hits, but uh, that he, I think that he got on the airwaves at all is is some weird anomaly, and a lot of it because the labels that were willing to take the chance or play his stuff is because of his influences. If you if you say uh, this guy sounds like Jimi Hendrix, well, what does everybody love Jimi Hendrix? Right at at this point too, I think it's important, um, and it's something you hear now is talking about the idea of the black hippie. Mm-hmm. And you know, in 1993, though, the last black hippie was really you, know, you could maybe go George Clinton, but really you know, Jimi Hendrix. You know, and so there's a there's a 20 to 30 year gap already there from when then that was really a thing it got erased by hip-hop because that, there was none of that in there until you get a band yeah. like tribe called quest coming through but the, right but you still but the have black rock, like this, the black rock coalition is a thing say, you do yeah. Bones, everyday sunshine is 1991 right. yeah yeah you know living color are hitting in no, the late, I, yeah, the late no, 80s but, wanna, but they're just not they're facing the same kind of struggles no, that lenny talked about with this record was like the yep. label didn't know what to do with it until for him, mm-hmm. the video happened, but, which, is yeah. a, we can, which we'll talk yeah, about so later. I'll, so I'll say this, though. Okay, so the thing that separated Lenny from every other artist in the Black Rock Coalition, which these are all... Okay, so like every black person in rock is making smashes right now. They're mm-hmm. making like heat. Whether people are hearing them or not, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. they're being made. So understand that Lenny Kravitz's father is a record executive, and his mother is Helen Willis yeah. of the Jeffersons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Roxy Roker. Mm-hmm. So he comes from a progeny... Where he's going to get a shot, mm-hmm. no matter what. Like, he's going to get unlimited shots, actually. Yeah. So it's almost like he's playing with an unfair deck. And that's one of the things about Lindy Kravitz I wanted to make sure that we bring up. Mm. In the sense that, like, he comes from this background. And yes, you'll hear interviews where he talks about, like, oh, well, it was so chill. It was so relaxed. It wasn't like I had a Hollywood upbringing. It wasn't like this. It wasn't like that. He went to high school with actual movie stars. Sure. Mm-hmm. Like, so he was already going to get an opportunity. And whatever he made was going to get a chance in the public limelight. Yeah. And if it sounded like New Edition, 
he would have been able to go in that lane and win and dunk the ball 75 times. If it sounded like Nirvana, he would have gone down that lane and dunked the ball 75 times. Mm -hmm. But the, the true genius of Lenny Kravitz was like, I'm going to do neither. And I'm going to do something squarely in the middle because that's yeah. my upbringing and that's who I am uniquely. And I think that's the thing with this album that makes it so powerful is that it's right in between the lines. Like you, you, and in this era to make something that's right in between two very disparate things yeah. mm. is so odd and so shocking. And so, but it's still, it still sounds great, but the connection of this is music for me mm doesn't exist right. it's it's also i mean it, it's a pop album it's a rock album but it's a pop album and it and it, and it is in the sense that it the execution that he always had is so fucking perfect that like you get you get this by working mm-hmm. right you know he did come from a place of privilege yeah as far as the entertainment industry goes right but you don't that doesn't help you when you have to sit down and write the song I, I want to get like right to the video and the song. The video, I think the video you're talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. Are you going to go my way? The title track. Uh, well, and I'll say that too. One of the one of the things that was a disconnect, you know. So let me just place this for me for a hot second because mm-hmm. I think my perspective is is super weird. Um, but I was 13 when this record yeah. came out, and I was, you know, as we all know by now, living in northern Wisconsin in the middle of nowhere. But I didn't really understand why this song and this record was um, why I why I got into it so much until much later when I was like, oh right, because I had already been hearing all of his influences my whole life, right? Whether it was the Beatles or Hendrix or Cream or you know Sly or Stevie or whatever Prince. Thank you for mentioning Cream because people don't <laughs> yeah, mention Cream absolutely. enough in this conversation. There's another podcast, um, but so so I didn't get at the time I wasn't connected that I was third. Thirteen, like how am I connecting the dots right. that, in that way? Um, but I also, what I didn't know, um, and there's a there's a much deeper issue here, um, and we can talk about that when we get to the video and kind of the representation of this album in terms of the live performances in the band. But I didn't know that he pretty much did it all himself, yeah, um, because that wasn't really talked about as much. He wasn't. I mean, again, the limited amount of information that I was receiving. Um, as a teenager, mm-hmm. I, I interpreted the video to be the reality. So to see him on stage with a band performing in, in your brain, you might equate that to, oh, those are the people who played on the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was not the case. And so his kind of um, uh, presence within the music community, I have since learned, of course, everyone's like, well, yeah, we knew he was dope from Let Love Rule. And then this record came out and he just got even doper, like, <laughs> you know, to other musicians mm-hmm. and to, particularly... Because of the single, the first single with um, the drumming and how important yeah. that was. And, you know, to to now know that that was also him playing the drums, even though in my brain it was Cindy. Um, and yeah. We'll talk about that because yeah, that's yeah, a whole yeah. other conversation in terms of you this, ca- you this have song. Ca- you have to cast the character. Okay. So right. I don't mean to. I don't mean to no, but it's, it's true. Like casting you the video to- and casting the tour. So you have to cast this record correctly to make it pop. Yeah. And that's one of the key things about so much of this record is based in aesthetic. Like to cast the aesthetic of like the people and the place and the look yeah. and everything. It's and perfect. and for this, the aesthetic was just like, holy fucking rock and roll. Yes. This 100%. is, this is a, are you going to go my way?
universe, uh, your black Jesus has arrived. He is here. <laughs> and, and look, I mean this literally because if this is the name of the album, the title track of the song. The lyrics, I was born long ago. I am the chosen. I'm the one. I've come to save the day, and I won't leave until I'm done. Uh, you can interpret that as a, a cry for peace and love, or you can be like, fuck it, I'm Jesus. But then later on in the very same song, uh, we were talking off mic about like how ridiculously rock and roll this is. We've got to hug and rub a dub. We've got to dance and be in love. Like that is just <laughs> after you have this like serious, it could be completely like over earnest take on like casting himself as the Christ figure in this. And then you have got the hug and rub a dub. It's like, damn, Jesus is funky. I was 15 when this came out. Yeah. So. We got a hug and rub a dub made all the sense in the world to me. I was there for that lyric. That's the level that he did he hit. Fifteen year old kid running around his apartment, like you know, in his underwear, doing mm-hmm. doing my best Tom Cruise and risky business. That's the thing. <laughs> so, uh, so about this, he says, Jesus is the ultimate rock star. So this mm-hmm. song is indeed mm-hmm. casting Jesus as the ultimate rock star. Yeah. Also, we were just jamming in the studio, you know. I was jamming with Craig Ross, who I wrote the song with. It was one of those songs that happened in five minutes. Mm-hmm. We were jamming. I thought there was something happening. I told Henry to turn on the tape machine, and we played it. And that was it. And then I went and wrote the lyrics on a brown paper bag. I remember at my loft on Broom Street at the time. Went and sang it the next day. And that was it. Yeah. And I presume you just layer in all of the the other guitar pieces and, you know, whatever. Sure, you can overdub it. I mean, I, I don't yeah. like to get too technical about any of this stuff, but there's not actually a whole lot of overdubs on that. <laughs> no. That, that, is, that is literally – so the reason why that this song actually secretly makes me mad as a guitar player is because that riff sounds simple. It is not simple. <laughs> you, it, 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 you can get there, but then to land it, it's just a, it, it's a beast. But then, you know, it's just like – the psychedelics involved in all this and, and the use of flange like that people uh chorus was big in the 80s flange was a little bit out but you get flange in there and it's just it's just Huge. a pedal and you hit it and all of a sudden you play a chord and you sound awesome and it's the biggest cheat in the world but if you use it like that it sounds like the the most amazing thing and you saw that in the video right mm-hmm. this video <laughs> was i i don't even know like Okay. That's what the, vi- the video had to had to match the big sound of the song. Yeah. And you know the visuals and the individuals on like the overall visuals and then the people on stage or in the video with him, you know, this is he's about to hit the road and he's going to go on tour and he's taking these people with him. Mm-hmm. So who's going to do that? Who can who can contribute to the overall packaging of this song and of this album? And they fucking hit it. They 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 nailed it. Like this, he said. Like the song wasn't doing a whole lot until the video hit, and yeah. then it became an anthem. All right. Yeah. So MTV that that year ninety three, they used to play videos in the middle of the afternoon in three song blocks. So you would have a rock block, you would mm-hmm. have a pop block, you'd have yeah. a yeah. you'd have a, a rap block. And when are you gonna go my way? Hit. It was so powerful. That they just started playing it whenever. This mm-hmm. video was like bigger than like, oh, the rock block. It would be in the pop block. Mm-hmm. Then it would end up in the alternative block. And you're like, how? And then you would watch the video and you're just like, I don't care. I just want them to play it again. So you would literally <laughs> sit there and wait for another 15 minutes and sit through like, I, I, I think I've, I saw 100 million LL Cool J videos that, that summer. I saw yeah. 
every other artist that was hot that year, I saw all their videos because I would just wait for the video to come on. And I have it like taped on my, my VHS player like multiple times. And it was the thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it was, and it was also like at the time, hair metal had seen its day, but you know, you had Guns N' Roses was still around being over earnest. I mean, look, November Rain is a great video, but. Don't you dare talk talk uh, crap about November Rain. But, we, we, we no, what, what was the one with the dolphins after? <laughs> uh, oh, that's Don't Cry. No, don't not cry. Don't Cry. It was something. It was, it was off Use Your Illusion too. But but my point is is that in the industry, it felt like because of Nirvana, because of Grunge, we were in this thing of rebellion against like pop music. We still are. We know we know this. People like people got mad at Bruno Mars. Most talented in the room. <laughs> like you can't get mad at Bruno Mars, right. but uh, but you know if you remember that where he came from and how much of this is that he is a showman, he is an mm-hmm. entertainment like powerhouse. He's an actor now. He was in all three Hunger Games. Like the, again, it's a package. It's a package deal. deal. Like he's the whole thing, he's and like, he's very aware of that. Yeah, yeah, and the, and, then and he's the, always been and the that's... response. You know, the the video won best back when it was male female videos. Yes. Right? he won best male video, and he won it won best art direction. Yes, and then he also won the Grammy for best rock male vocal or whatever it was four years in a row. Right, like regardless of what people were thinking about him, he was winning. He was stacking up he awards, was winning awards. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and like. For that, it, you listen to his previous two albums, and it's just a little looser. And for it to just congeal on this the way it did is just so fucking. Like I just want to sit down with him and be like, "Dude, what? Mm-hmm. Like how you know the quotes you read are like, yeah, this was simple, and and that may be true. That is the best rock songs that are written. But he obviously thought about a lot of this for a well, real think, long time. I think that part of that is it's an organic process mm-hmm. for him because of how much homework he had done yeah, and how in, how the the kind of you mentioned the privilege right the privilege yeah. that he had to to be so in it right and and meant, right. that is so yeah so he can sit down and channel Mitch Mitchell and John Bonham in 5 fucking minutes and right. come up with one of the most like powerful tracks in a in a while and then you know the lyric later but you know that exposure is a privilege Yep. And that is something that, to him, is natural. Yeah, I wanted to mention something really fast about his privilege and just how you hear these records, yep. these legendary records. So, like, when we're kids, you hear them, like, on your, your studio speaker in your house, and it's, like, a little setup, and it's in your room or whatever, and you're like, oh, yeah, this song is awesome. You put the headphones on, and it blasts through your headphones. I'm imagining that if you're, like, the the, the daughter of, the son of a, a, a record executive and, and a, a, a TV star, that they have a pretty mean stereo setup and a pretty good record collection. <laughs> <laughs> so when you live, when you live in this house, you go into the living room and you turn on like the stereo, and it's got like the huge like quadraphonic speakers like plugged into the walls, and the, the the walls shake and the floor shakes when you hear like cream for the first time, and you're just like. You get to the studio and the the engineer is like the same guy who worked with those artists and you get the the look of like, you could do it. And then you're like, well, I want the same thing that I heard. And you know what it sounds like. Yeah. And you know how it feels. You know how it feels. And I feel like, okay, so like the other thing I wanted to mention is that he's recently divorced at this point from Lisa Bonet. Who is, you know, another TV... Who was all over the first record. Yeah, exactly. And uh, she was uh, Denise on the Cosby Show, for people mm-hmm. who aren't aware. 
and uh, he's shacking up. I'm sorry. Wait, who's not aware of who Lisa Bonet is? A lot of people aren't. I'm okay. I just. I mean, that, I know that. that I know that all of the children <laughs> are now. That's kind of like a sidebar yeah. because all of our all of the twenty something. Maybe in the for world. our crowd, she was an angel heart. I don't know. <laughs> oh, angel heart. Good, good call. But anyway, so at this point, he's between Shaka. Okay, and at this point, Lisa Bonet is like, like, like black hippie Mary Magdalene woman mm-hmm. of all inspiration. You're just like this woman is is she's eats ambrosia for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and he's gone from being with her to. Being on an island off of the Bahamas with a Swedish model. Mm-hmm. As you do. This is his yeah. life. Yeah. So when you have those kind of sounds in your head and you're living this life. And the other thing, too, is that he's like having this eternal battle with like whether or not he wants to be celibate in the midst of all that, too. So you have this whole like Jesus figure. Yeah. Then celibacy. Then astoundingly attractive women, the, the likes of whom exist in 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 very rare like vintage around the planet yeah and you sit down and you make these songs i i can't imagine that all of that is not part of the cajoling process it is but there's also a weird thing this album is split into two parts i think uh uh, and we're gonna get off the jams here a little quick we might go back to it because there's a song that i love more than anything at all but okay but you know this is talking about peace and love, get the the Jesus figure, the narrative, whatever, up to uh, the end of side one, really. Um, but then he starts to address like his heritage. Yeah. On uh, the whole back half of the album is uh, "Black Girl, My Love, Sugar, uh, Sister," and uh, "Eleutheria," and these are all like for all the bombast of this first half of the album. These are all very uh, they're, they're much smaller songs. They're much more personal songs, I think. Uh, I want to play some of Black Girl because, you know, this is, you just heard rock and roll, like pure shot of rock and roll, and this is a pure shot of soul, and this is great. Thank you. 
if the if the chai lights took a bunch of acid, I, I would expect that's what you end up with. <laughs> like, tell me, have you seen her mm. and that's a and great call. the unicorn yeah. on the mall? On that's the, a, that's a like great. The, yeah, I mean, Kevin, that, that's like one of the best calls. Okay, I've been on. I've done like <laughs> two hundred and seventy-five. I've been around for two hundred and seventy-five <laughs> of these episodes. Yeah. That's one of the best calls you well, ever made. I mean, I know a little bit about music sometimes. No, I was. That's like um, you. You nailed it, though. But you know, and clearly, again, he's pulling from all all kinds of things, mm-hmm. making uh, an album. I think for the black audience, without implicitly saying, like trying to tie it together. Mm-hmm. So because he knows he has the position, right? Yeah, um, and he doesn't need to be public enemy at this point, right? Nope. Public enemy is out there. Chuck's like, okay, we're going to do our <laughs> thing. You do your thing, but he. It can support it. It can like hang on that and like help that stuff rise because people get into that and they'll be like, "Well, fuck! I've heard that song. What? Where does it fit?" And then you play them like, "Tell me, have you seen her?" And it's like, "Shit, okay, that's where." And then you start digging a little deeper. Um, Timothy, you were saying, uh, you know, that song. There's also uh, "Just Be a Woman." I think is kind of the same song as that. Very similar. Uh, yeah. Similar themes. Um, yeah. You know, it's just he's he slows it down. Just him and you in the room, girl. It's just like, mm-hmm. hey. Uh, and it's fine. And it's also a classic soul move. That's a Pendergrass move right there. That's straight Pendergrass. <laughs> um, but you were, you, were, uh, you were sort of focusing in on the song a little bit. Um, what, Heaven Help or uh, Sister? I was thinking about Sister. And I was, as I was listening to this album a few times in the past couple of days, I was like, what is this? The intro. I was like, what is this reminding me of? And I couldn't place it. If you, I, I, I experimented. If okay. you play Sister and Take Off Your Cool, they are the same song. Oh. oh. In the beginning, the, the acoustic guitar, it's the same key. It's like almost the same chord progression. It's eerie. Yeah. It's eerie. And what year is that? Is Speaker Box Law Below? That's uh, 2000. Mm hmm. Yeah. And this is 1993. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's, it's like if you could. Put them and on I, top of each other, the tracks. And I'd imagine that in the Outcast canon at that point, creatively, there's a lot of Lenny Kravitz that's happening. Right. Yeah. Always. It's so what's, what's I've, what I've kind of thought about with this album, and, and you mentioned it earlier, too, when we were talking with the um, Free as a Bird. It's like he is simultaneously existing in the past and the present and the future. Yeah. You know, like, and, and that's one moment where it's like, I wonder if, if you know, Draven realized that he was literally pulling from this song at the time. Probably not, you know, but like, it's just, it's crazy. So so it's a weird thing. And that's something I, you know, I want to talk about to the separation of music is, you know, like we talked about the Beatles, right? And how you get it. I was listening to the Beatles. I grew up, you were in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. The Beatles are everywhere, right? But so what is it for, for Dre and uh, big boy? Like, Mm -hmm. what are they listening to? Of course, Kravitz is in there. He has to be because out of all these like honkies on MTV, here comes Lenny Kravitz, and he's like, "Oh, sweet!" It's like you said, you look at somebody, they got the same skin tone and stuff, and as well, and the whole aesthetic and yeah. you know uh, presence, yeah. Okay, so ide- identity in Lenny Kravitz mm-hmm. is a big, big reason why Lenny Kravitz wins. Lenny took like Lenny was just cool, like unequivocally cool. Mm-hmm. So like. Other black people were not as cool as Lenny Kravitz on television in 1993. Sure. Lenny Kravitz was a whole other level of cool. And like Snoop Dogg was cool, but he was like young and cool. 
Then there's like LL, who's like at that point, like reaching a timeless level of cool. Like, okay, he's just dope. Like, he's like always in shape, has a certain presence. You're like, okay, he's cool. But like Lenny Kravitz, you looked at him and like, my mom thought Lenny Kravitz was cool. My grandmother thought Lenny Kravitz was cool. <laughs> all of my uncles, who were all like impeccably dressed players, like looking like 1974 at all times, all were like, that man on guitar, he's cool. Have you heard that record, Marcus? That Lenny Kravitz. Mm-hmm. That that's the record. That that's a cool record. Right. If you like, man, have you have you listened to that yet? Always, because I used to have these big long, prolonged conversations. With were were they wearing a music. vest like you usually wear? Oh, I, that's where I get the vest from. <laughs> I know, that's where I, I get know. the vest from. Of course you do. It's a thing. So it's an, it's it's play on play. But yeah, so uh, so no, it's like shout out to my Uncle Jimmy. But um, but yeah, so they were all like, okay, because well, they could identify with it for all yeah. the reasons we've already mentioned. Where right. it's like they could they could they could hear bits and pieces and be like, oh, I can relate to this. Yet it is still new enough, right. and interesting enough for me to want to hear. And it. everybody glommed onto it, and that was the thing. I think that was the thing with like the stylized nature of everything on this album is that I mean everybody's like, okay, so Lady Kravitz to that point hadn't had the breakout hit. He had had hits. He had, had renown. He yeah. was known globally, but not in America. This was the first time he he really charted. It was the first time he broke mm-hmm. the top twenty. Right. Yeah. So so th- so the level of stylizing here, the level of like over the top, like hit you in the head with a mallet that happens on this album over and over and over again. I was saying to Kevin earlier that every time you hear something on this album and you know where it comes from, you should just laugh out loud. You'll find yourself like giggling down the street, mm-hmm. like I did this morning, like just giggled. I tried to like start making notes to myself, and I was like, "This is just ne- going to be impossible, never right?" Like every single, I would, I, I was stopping and restarting the songs too many times, right? To actually like, it was just, it got ridiculous. Yeah, so I went to add this quote in from uh, Chris Heath in Telegraph in 2009. It says, "For the most part, it just seems as though Lenny Kravitz carried on being Lenny Kravitz until one day the world just decided." To agree that he was kind of the figure he had always appeared to assume he already was. <laughs> yeah. He's just existing outside in his little Kravitz bubble. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, it, it's a – we have talked a lot and we're talking a lot this year. Um, and I, I don't know the answer to what I'm going to say. Uh, about, you know, is there white music? Is there black music? Is there what all these – and and that gets into tribalism and everything. And I think uh, I think there is. I think the answer is yes. Culturally, those cultural differences are very important. Uh, what the most important part is when we can um, look at a different culture and understand it, and at yeah. least empathize with the music and understand right. it. And so, where I see that a lot of this is people looking at Kravitz because people fight against that, right? Mm-hmm. People, we've had somebody in our basement recently. He was just like, you know, this music is for this person. I don't ever believe that. Like, if somebody says to me, music is for just a certain type of person, I do not believe that. I reject that out of hand. It can be made with the intention to the intention speak is to fine. and be absolutely. a message to that a certain is, group of people, correct. but that shouldn't alienate others from correct. taking a message. And and if the artist doesn't right. want to talk to people right. in that, that respect, is, that's, that is that's totally fine. Completely, but up to, to them. say that right. like you are. XYZ and cannot understand this, that is, that's not what art is, period. Um, but so with him being able to cross this line, and like you said, he existed in the Kravitz bubble, but I, I just don't see how this wasn't intentional on his part. He had, to, he had to know like how many things he's bringing together because, like I said up front, you listen to this in 2018, and this is the greatest album of all time. 
<laughs> like, like how is how is uh, and it might just be my sensibilities have shifted or whatnot. But like, how how did this not make him? He was always like, in my eyes, partially because of the way he presented himself, the biggest fucking rock star in the world. And then I look it up and I find out he wasn't. He never was. He had hits, but he never was like anyone low key Grammys. Like people, he's just people, like winning them, and people are like, okay. I'll, I'll but, say this. But here you have this, and like, I can't even get it on vinyl. It's it's out of print. I have to spend three hundred dollars to get this fucking record on vinyl. And what kind of world is that? Where this guy who's done this, you can just set this in front of any group, and they're gonna be like, yes. Right. I want to give a shout out to Jonathan Gold and Scott Crawford, who were people I went to high school with, and I would argue about music with every day. Of of, of middle school and friends. high school, mm-hmm. Jonathan Golden, Scott Crawford. Whenever I bring up Lenny Kravitz, would say he's not as good as Jimmy. He's not as good as See? Clapton. He's not as good as this person. He's not as good as that person. So he's like number two. And so, they're like, and they're like, well, you could just listen to number one, Marcus. And you could be totally like, that's how I got into Cream. I was glad you mentioned. Y- cream. Y'all can't see it. I'm rolling my eyes right, right now. Right, because yeah. I got into Cream because. Scott Crawford tried to tell me that Lenny's band was not as good as Creep. And I was like... Like, what kind of dumb question, <laughs> thing to say is that? Who cares? But that was, like, where, that was where a lot of the industry was, too. A lot of people... I know. Well, that's where were, the industry is now. Were well, really and also, if you mad. think about, like, again, not to be all historically, but historically, that's what happens. A black artist cannot not be compared to the other black artists. Correct. Right? Correct. right? So if he's a black guy on stage playing rock and roll... Everyone's gonna hold him up against Jimmy. the other one, which who is Jimi Hendrix, right? Yeah. And it's their just black like, friend. I mean, right? <laughs> and it's not fair to the art, and it's not fair to the audiences. No, and that's where the critics, I think, failed Lenny Kravitz. Yeah, yes, in a huge way because he would be honored to be even in the same sentence as Jimi Hendrix. We were just talking earlier about how the photographs from um, the re-release, like he and the other guys who played on the record. Look just like all the photographs of Jimi <laughs> Hendrix and the experience. It's it's Jimmy and two white guys, and they have similar, you know, like stances and and backdrops and like moments, and the, and it's and, like they're the same, right? And so, kind of like thinking about the visuals of this record again, like of course there are going to be these natural comparisons in every possible way, but why can't somebody like Lenny Kravitz just be compared to? everyone else in music and be on an even right. playing field because because i tell you what like everyone else in music didn't make a jam like this song i'm gonna play right now because this this song is fucking like, and i think he knew what he was doing with this song and he absolutely reaching he, a wider he audience absolutely did. uh it's a little uh, is there any love in your heart Yeah. 
I mean, look, if there if there's a bigger jam like that from 1993, so tell me. It, it doesn't exist in 1993. It doesn't. Not yet. No. But then what's funny, okay, so we did this with another discologist we did. I forget which one it was. I think it was the first, like, what was it, Radiohead or something we did? Not Apollo Honey, but Mm-mm. the, um, the, what's we've, the other one? We've only done, radio, we've only done Apollo Honey for Radiohead. Okay, somebody else we did. Right, we're talking about the, the continuation of it. Um, every and to the end, and I were talking about soundtracks. Mm-hmm. Every soundtrack of every movie between 1993 and 2001 has at least two songs on it that sound like this song, and it's for like the mo- it's for the fun montage of mm-hmm. like the couple has discovered each other and they're in love well, and sure, they're but- doing a date and. Mm-hmm. Or in the Romeo and Juliet case, they're running around shooting people. Yes. I, uh, go, go back a little further. But that's, and that we, we discovered that's the Everclear song on the soundtrack. Yeah. It reminded me of this. Yeah. I love it. I, 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 well, I, I played uh, Santa Monica like millions of other white boys in a cover Black band Black Eyed once. Too. Yeah. Played great. Santa Monica. Uh, but, uh, you know, go, go back and, and forward a little further at the same time because yeah. we understand that Gravis does not exist in the normal time stream. No. Um, you look at uh, go forward to the, when the film Boogie Nights comes out, right? Put this in in place of you know the scene where the guy is is throwing shit down to Sister Christian. Yes. Put this in place of that song, and it works perfectly. It slides in and out of like our musical history and what songs are supposed to be, mm-hmm. uh, and and like, God. damn, like he's a cosmic traveler is what I'm saying. We said Janet Jackson had a time machine. Mm-hmm. Like, what if he's the time machine? And he's just out there like, come on, everybody get on board. Let's take a ride. You know, this didn't end with this album, right? He's he's just done this like amazing body of work that it's sort of like he gives zero fucks. He's like, I just got to get what's inside out. Mm-hmm. And you guys can like it or not. And generally he just wins awards for it. And that's not because it's just like, oh, hey, it's Lenny Kravitz anymore. It's because right. he's making good shit. Yeah. He's, and he's he's consistently authentic. Yeah. While, like we kind of said before, channeling, you know, all of the things that have influenced him and all of the sounds and, you know, I kind of, I was thinking about, and this might be a stretch, I don't know, but I was thinking about the way that these songs are all pieced together Mm -hmm. and they're almost like thinking about how hip hop production pieces together different tracks of different songs and flips them and and speeds them up and slows them down and chops them up to create a new sound. He's kind of doing that with his musical influences here yeah. because as we talk about these songs there are there it, there's a vibe, right, to each right. song and right. there's a vibe to the record. But then you can just get down into the the actual like details of the sonic pieces that mm-hmm. have been assembled and it's 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 almost like approaching it from like a Dilla perspective or what have you perspective mm-hmm. where you're yeah. you're piecing yeah. these things together, but he's doing it in a way that that is rock and roll. 
Who else to your mind does that? Not not in hip hop. I mean in rock. In like in, I mean, is he the I only? See, is he the mean, only one? I I don't know because, but I don't know if this is something. I don't know if this is something that he and his you know collaborators because we got to remember like there are other people in the room. Yeah. Um, whether they're aware of it or not, or whether this is just so organic for him that he doesn't realize it's happening. It's interesting. Uh, and I, I mean, how, who am I to speak on? Yeah, that? yeah, yeah. I wouldn't uh, know. I, I just the conversation I always have an ab or an Abernathy about. Yeah, yeah, sure. Playing hit songs, and I'm like, okay, so you know all the chords. What makes you choose the chord that's not a hit chord, as opposed to like some unknown chord that you don't know the the potential it has within the pop musical canon? Mm-hmm. On this album. He chooses every single chord that he knows works. Almost to a level where, again, this is where critics have you know, been unkind to this album. In the sense that, yeah, he's the guy, he's the asshole in the room that was like, I'm going to take that chord and this chord and that chord and I'm going to take that, vocal, sure, sure, that sure. vocal tone and I'm going to take this, this level of warmth in the guitar and I'm going to do this loop and do that and give you this. And every single time, and it's like very demonstrably like well-known things that always work. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's like, you know, it's like the musical equivalent of a Big Mac. It's like a Big Mac is delicious. Great. And that's it's like saying so sometimes you just want delicious. And it would be one thing if he was doing it and not giving credit to Correct. the people yeah. who influence his creativity yeah he's not right. that asshole he's like, not i just that came up with this who's like what are you talking about this is all mine you know no yeah. he's like shout out to yeah all of these other bands all these other people black and white artists right. you know from the beginning of the genre and you know there are a couple songs in here too on this record too where you're like this is blues like this is that and he's not that jerk who's just like i don't know what you're talking about Jimi hendrix who you know he's very open to having those conversations because i think and again, this is purely speculation, but I think he kind of understands because of the the knowledge base that he has, right? Because of the the mm. the platform that he has kind of built for himself using all of the people who came before him, he gets where he fits in in this kind of trajectory. Well, right. it's funny like because what you're talking about with Ab Marcus is uh you know, that's what people are like he wears his influences on his sleeve. Right. That's what people mean when that, but right. You know, I've said it a lot of times. It's like, if you're good at that and then your instinct is like, I got to do something different. Right. Because otherwise people are going to be mad at me. Yeah. You've lost. You, you, you have just fucked up your song. It's the, it's the Bruno Mars thing. It's what people hated Bruno Bruno from winning 87 Grammys. For sure. For sure. Uh, And being able to do how many tours off of one album? Yes. (laughs) Of course. Let's not I forget, forget who it was. Somebody came in and saw, like, after the Grammys, I, that I got the vinyl for 24 Karat Magic, and they were like, what the fuck are you doing? Oh, it's more. Yeah. And he's like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing with this? I'm like, it's a jam. I mean, like, that's the, strategically, the way that he timed the release of that album to be able to cover two Grammy Awards mm-hmm. and yeah. literally do, I think, three tours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, you can't be mad at that. No, you can't be mad at that ever. But as far as people wearing stuff on the sleeve, you know, I and back to my question to you, Timothy, when I said, who... Who does this? I can think of bands that like definitely. I know people like them because they sound like X Y Z. So like right. uh, like Oasis is the mm-hmm. one that comes to mind. Uh, we're eventually going to talk about what's the story of Morning Glory. That is mm-hmm. ripping off like the best parts <laughs> of the Rocky Beatles, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a great fucking album. But 
beyond that, beyond just pure sonic enjoyment, I don't know that Oasis has any value to like humanity. <laughs> um, and and people worship him for it. This I think does though. This I think and and most of his output is whereas Oasis is just pop. It's just rock. This has a more uh, because if you get through these jams and like we we played uh, a little black girl, you talked about uh, sister. Like if you get to that and get to where he's actually talking about something that's j- really specifically germane to him and his community, at that is a risk. That's a bigger risk than people give him credit for, mm. especially back then. Because if people just wanted Hendrix from him and he has to sing about, I don't know, like tripping his face off and here's a scorching guitar solo just keep the jams coming and just slow right, it he down made five are you gonna go my way yes exactly exactly and and, yeah. and instead he 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 doesn't and he hasn't his entire career and he has these moments that are like uh if you pulled that out of it and made its own album you'd be we'd be talking about him in a very different way uh we'd be talking about him as like oh here's a guy who's actually speaking for black culture here's a guy who's speaking uh, very sensitively. I think uh, an interesting thing to note too is that Prince is actually, as far as the, uh, let's say the quality in his output, is on the decline at this point. There's still some great work ahead. This is 93? Yeah. So this is the symbol album. This is yeah. a really transitional time period for yeah. Prince. This right. is a, this is the time where he is he is facing a lot of internal and external you know challenges yeah. right. let's just say with right. his career that of course are going to impact his creative output right right um what i think is really brilliant about the way that lenny kind of runs parallel with kind of prince's body of work is we were talking earlier like the the way he um because you remember he's not playing guitar on most of these tracks mm-hmm. he's doing it on stage in the live performances but the way that the guitar sounds just, and I mean that like the plural sounds um, on this record are like a hybrid of so many different guitarists, including Prince, including Prince. And, and there's a heavy influence there that, that not, I mean, nobody's ever going to fill the creative void of, of Prince. If you aren't necessarily like, if you're thinking about like his peaks and valleys (laughs) in terms of of creative, like no one's going to ever, even Prince at his worst is still going to be at a level that, that most artists can't even dream of <laughs> achieving. Um, and, and but yeah, it's interesting to think about like what else is happening with his, because a lot of his influences are still around, you know, minus of course the Jimi Hendrix and that kind mm-hmm. of era. But like he, I again, pure speculation, but you can't help but kind of think about how he is in tune with what's happening around him. Yeah. But then when he goes to record, he's in isolation. And when he's creating, right. he's he's like he, and he says like I'm not really thinking about it in the moment, but he's thinking about it when he's out there living. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it all comes into it. I mean, to to the point about Prince too is that um, we can go back now and certainly like uh, most of those albums in that in the late '90s, early 2000s, they're they're the jam. I mean, you and this was before he died even. You you can never stress enough how brilliant a musician Prince was. And what you saw was him going this route where he's actually doing all this as well, but he doesn't give a fuck about plugging into the culture at all. Zero fucks given. 
And so you get like the symbol album, which is interesting. You get then later you get like Crystal Ball, which that was like right overkill is putting it mildly. Um, but you, if you put it on now, you're just like it's jazz is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, where Kravitz seemed to understand that he still had a place to play, and maybe you know, Prince opened the door for him, right? Yeah. To me, there's a thing where. And there's two points here. Number one, um, I was listening to an interview with Lenny. It's at the back end of the 20th anniversary compilation of this album Mm. where he talks about like, okay, so you say that I'm like a psychedelic rock person or you say that I'm a soul person. But he's like, like, mainly most of my influences are like blues and jazz and gospel. And he named all of this stuff Mm. that when distilled Mm -hmm. becomes all of these genres that people most generally associate him with. But I think the most intriguing part about him is that very few artists are able to take something and then distill it through pop first. Yeah. And then pull not the not the not the pulp at the core, but like the stuff from the fringes. And that's the choice. Mm -hmm. And that's and it's a conscious thing, and that's the thing I want to want to say about it. It's that it's very conscious. Musicians famously are 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 just fussy. They 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 wanna Rock and roll is rebellion, right? Right. They want to rebel. They can't. It can't be popular, yeah. guys. But yeah, it needed to be popular, right? Because it's like, because, but I mean, like the average. So like the Everclears of the world mm-hmm. do the same thing, and it's like yeah. it's funny you mentioned Everclear because they're like a really like because then they had their big hit era. Right. They were pulling from the pulp. It was like okay, this thing in the middle, we're gonna grab that. Boom, right here, Father of Mine. Burr, burr. You know, it's mm-hmm. like okay, obviously. Like with Lenny, it's like all the stuff on the fringes that he knows he can pull into his like circle yeah. and then put it through the aesthetic. Uh, uh, like with, with certain artists, there's like an aesthetic ometer where like you figure out where you're going on like the aesthetic, like the aesthetic, like spectrum. Yeah. And that's the magic of that's the magic. Yeah. Like that is. And that's. And again, right here, this album is great because he knew what he needed to do commercially. Uh-huh. And it was like, Okay. So I'm going to pull not from here, but from like right there. And then I'm going to get this woman who looks like this. And then I'm going to get this guy that looks like that. And then I'm going to play this chord like this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, boom, you put it in a super collider and it's like shoots it out. And what's crazy is like compared to now. Because mm-hmm. I was trying to place this in a conversation with like modern music. Is that everybody's like afraid of the super collider effect. So, like, you don't want to put it in the super cloud. You want to kind of, like, shy away from that and do something new and do something different and create kind yeah, of a new like, aesthetic why? feel. And, I mean, you get artists like Frank Ocean and people like that who, like, have, to some level, excelled in doing that. And you get, like, Kendrick, who's excelled in some level doing that. But Although Frank, Ocean, Frank Ocean has excelled, I think. And we, we actually were discussing this right. uh, earlier this week. Um by just doing something very weird. I, I, I don't, as much as I uh, uh, hold Channel Orange in my heart, I don't think he's, like, a talent on the level of, like, Kravitz or anybody legendary. I think, so I think there's a lot of hype involved. I think in mentally, okay, so that's another point. I think mentally, yeah. he is. There's a lot of artists right now who mentally are on the same level. Yeah. But I think that there is a fear of what, ha- of what could happen to your career and your music. Mm-hmm. Like Kendrick Lamar has won like 87 Grammys already. Yeah. But he has avoided the super collider effect with his popular music. 
and there's a fear because it's like now you know the story of like now because we've had so many beyond the music so many unsungs and so many of these shows and so much of this history that's like present in our minds and hearts where it's like oh i don't want to put it there but this was a guy who could have stayed into the left and been like a frank ocean and done that mm-hmm. and known it all in his head been like i'm a genius or like kendrick was like i'm a genius yeah. But I'm not going to put, I'm going to avoid this massive popular music super collider of MTV and sure, sure, TV sure, commercials sure. and Charmin, you know, but, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, and I mean, toilet Kendrick, paper. And, Kendrick hasn't really avoided that. But. No, but, no, but he, ha- he, he has it. Okay. So when Kendrick steps into it is when he does a song with Taylor Swift. Yeah. I mean, when he doesn't do that song with Taylor Swift. It's way to the outside. He has, he has the West yeah. Coast get down, play yeah. his music. He could have. He could have DJ Mustard make 37 tracks in 12 seconds and be that Ran- guy. Random aside, right. I, I asked, um, we were talking earlier in the episode about, you know, how you, when people are like the one influence, so people look at him like, oh, you're like Jimi Hendrix, right? Uh, Miles Mosley from the West Coast Get Down. Like that is, is invariably what people lazy people write about him. That's so They say he, so dumb. He, he's, he's the Hendrix of the bass and stuff. And I, um, this was not in the episode, in the interview, but uh, I, I, after their amazing set at Songbird here in Washington D.C., I asked him and say, "How do you, how do you deal with that? How do you like push it off?" He's like, "Jimi Hendrix was rad, <laughs> right?" And that's just it. He's like, "I don't, I don't listen to it. I, I just do my thing." And if people want to talk about it a certain way, fine. Well, I think that what Lenny is also kind of aware of at this time I mentioned you know Living Color and Fishbone earlier Mm -hmm. and they you know at this point their careers are are not what they could have been had they been given the Lenny Kravitz treatment yeah and I think that in some way he's reacting to that because no one is going to say that Living Color isn't talented or deserving (laughs) of the kind of success that Lenny Kravitz has No one in this basement for sure. Um, He may have been living at at that point like five blocks away from them too. So he's, he's, I think, (laughs) it's it's interesting to think about, again, like what is happening with with black rock and roll in this country, again, from like the mid to late 80s to the mid 90s. Yeah. And I think that most of your average just everyday listeners aren't going to be able to name more than four groups or right. or individuals who are who they could actually hear on the airwaves at that time or see on on television and and a group like living color who has who has clearly you know deserved created and deserved a place in history for all time or even a group like fishbone where it's like just too fucking weird in so many different ways to understand what to do with them mm-hmm. does not diminish their brilliance. Right. But it is because of the brilliance that they were unable to be packaged and sold and successful in terms of a mainstream standard. So Lenny is seeing this, I'm sure. Yeah. And, and internalizing that probably to a certain degree and realizing here's how I can do what I want to do creatively, artistically, Still channel my influences, still identify with mm-hmm. all these other people, but yet succeed. Because, yeah. to, 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 that po- to that point, two things. Uh, we're going to be talking about Living Color Stain, which is also this year. And uh, you're, you're raising the roof. Um, to my mind, that is one of the most 
uh, ecstatic, violent rock and roll records of all time, period. And it wasn't – look, that's not a commercial move from – from especially from like Times Up, if you start if you start vivid at Times Up, and then you come out with Stain, yeah. Doug Wimbish steps steps in and is just like, what the fuck is even happening with you? Yep. Uh, and and it, and it persists, and and the the anger and and the seething anger is so palpable, but it's so necessary. And uh, and, and that album can be seen as a commentary on the environment, the world, the, all yeah. these other things, but also their own frustration internally as a band with their place. In music, yeah, exactly, and 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 with Fishbone being weird, one thing I've, I've started to realize in talking about these older albums and talking about music in general is that a lot of the conversation I think needs to steer towards like not us in this room necessarily, but us as the fans. Fishbone is not weird. Uh, yeah, I, they're Fishbone, not weird at all. Fishbone, they make total Fish, sense. Fishbone yeah. is a culture that you might not know about, mm-hmm. and that's the point of music and culture. So right. you can experience things, and you get to decide. I don't like that. And the problem that that this brings up is that, and again, kind of something that I think Lenny was aware of. You know, record executives at the time that like a fishbone demo is being shopped around do not understand it. They don't yeah. know where to put it. They don't know what to do with it. And and a thing I've I've learned, I think all of us have, is that typically. When when white men don't understand something, they often become afraid of it. Yes. And as a result, to have literally a demo tape like that move from department to department to department from one white guy to another, not knowing where to put it, creates this sense of fear about what to do with it and how to channel what it's doing, I guess, if that makes any sense. Right. And but and. Then you have someone like Lenny Kravitz come along, and he's like, "Here's how yeah. you can market me. Here's you how it. you can understand it." Because I see, you know, I'm again. Yeah, I feel like he was like, "All right, I see the potential that these other people have had, or the success right. that other people have had. How can I maximize on that knowledge and make sure that that doesn't fucking happen to me?" Okay, so I'll I'll add in this part of the story. It's a fascinating little a a, a joiner to this. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm always mentioned the Black Rock Coalition down here because I know too many people who are members of the Black Rock Coalition. One of the things that happens when you become an African-American blogger or writer of some renown is when you go to New York, these people just fall into your lap. Like, you know, members of Living Color will just fall into your lap and you'll just be like, oh, you, you need to talk to this person. And you're like, this person? Right. Whoa, okay. Because, you know, we're all weird black kids deep down inside. Yeah. So it's like, hey, like, you know, shout out to my man Rob Fields for being the person to open up all those doors for me. Funny thing that happened when this record came out and it blew up. Record executives worldwide were like, where are the other weird black people? <laughs> yeah. Well, now, now think about this. That's a phenomenon that's happened over and over. Yeah. Okay. But think about this. And this actually gets into like Anderson Pac later on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So like, I'll, 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 I'll break it down so you can, it's, it's fascinating. So this thing hits all of these other people who are black rockers are all burnt out and mad mm-hmm. like livid about the industry when the industry comes around looking so people always ask well why is lenny kravitz by himself like it wasn't like lenny kravitz and like 12 other bands yeah well it was the fact that like when this thing hit everybody else was mad and did not have material ready to go or like in the case of like a living color they had 
too many band members to like get together cohesively in a way where you could be like. Well, they had stayed. They they they, they had gone down a path. I mean, right? But I mean, they can't come th- back. Th- yeah, they can't go back. And think <laughs> think about that. What you were talking about, like how you present stuff, Timothy. Mm-hmm. Think about like if you're in the meeting. Let's just say. Uh, in some weird world that this is the same meeting. The executives are here for Lenny Kravitz and, and a presentation from Stain, from Living Color. And you hear, <laughs> you hear Lenny Kravitz, are you going to go my way? And you're like, yeah, I dig it. And then you hear Stain and you run out the fuck, you jump out the 14th floor because you're like, what the fuck is even this? And honestly, that album effectively for the public Kind of ended their career. Right. So funny, funny, a a joiner about Cossack Anderson Mm Park. So when Weird Black Kids got cool again, so around 2012, 2013, it was like, oh, where are all the weird black kids? (laughs) So like Anderson Park, who was not Anderson Park in like 2008, he was like a whole other artist. Right, right, right. You know, he's still writing songs. He's still sitting on material. So when they were like, oh, we need more weird black kids. They're like, oh, there's this guy. And he's like, yeah. Yeah. and he's like, I've got songs. I've got producers I'm cool with. What do you guys want? Well, we need a, we need a, an EP. Oh, here. We need an album. Oh, here. Oh, and by the way, I can sing <laughs> and I can play the drums yeah. and I can do exactly. all these other things. So if people wonder why, how Anderson Pac emerged out of the, the, the nothingness seemingly of right, music. Right. He was always there and he was just ready to go. So this is the lesson out, off of the Lenny Kravitz thing mm-hmm. is if you're a musician and the thing you do does not work. So like shout out to like Jamal Gray and Jenna Camille. I'm gonna call people's names out in DC because yeah, they're, 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 they need to be called out. So like Suri Yu and uh, gosh, I can keep, I can keep oh, going. 25 hour rap fan? Yes. Yeah. So all of you guys like your thing is going to get hot real soon. People maybe responsible for that may have been in this basement. Are, are, are you saying, though, like that in the context of like you shit's getting hot soon Just, and pay attention to what yeah, Lenny Kravitz yeah. was doing? So like get your material ready Yeah. for that moment when people go, we need more people like this thing. Right. Because again, like Anderson Pock, that's how it happened. It was like, OK, I've got like 25 tracks ready to go. And or position yourself to be the prototype exactly for the new thing, right? Yeah, which is kind of what Lenny's doing here, right? And, and what he did with Let Love Rule, he's he's he is creating a new something. Because I always feel like the first Living Color thing happened, and then again, it's those things where nobody was ready. Because you tried to get a Bad Brains record out in 1980, no, <laughs> HR yeah. is not having that. Yeah. So it's like okay, then there's like Lenny Kravitz comes along, and you're just like. Ooh, we could do this thing again, but this guy's a lot more like pop friendly. Right. And then it's like, well, do we have anything else? No. Well, it's pop friendly. And he's also, like I said before, like channeling all the stuff like, you want to hear, all the stuff you want to hear. But he's also like, there's, there's one, um, I think the track you were going to mm-hmm. play next where it's just like, this is a blues song. Yeah. And there was yeah. something, um, was it, was it sugar or was it, um, the come on and love, come on and love me. I think was when I was thinking of where, where, um, uh-huh. I mean, that's only on the, on the re-release. Yes, yeah, is. yeah. Is it yeah, only yeah. on the? Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. it's on that thirty-one tracker. Yeah, yeah. it's on yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. I was, I had, I had them all on shuffle, and it's like, there's, yeah. No, here. no, there it is. Okay. Let's play a little bit of this. Coming on.
listen to how that bass line drives in. Like, there's nothing else in that song if you don't want it except that bass line. It's just like, oh. Yep. And then we were talking earlier about the high, yeah. the high kind of chunky guitar. And that's like a, Marcus pointed out, like, it's a real signature element because I was listening to this earlier today. It's also today. an along to you. Oh, yep. And I was like, why is this, why, you know, what is this reminding me of? And it's reminding me of another Lenny Kravitz song. It's reminding me of Mama Said. Yeah. Like, he just kind of has this landscape, this mm-hmm. like sonic landscape that he, that he can, he keeps it's the sex chord. referring to and including and like not to be lame, but like literally kind of painting. Yeah. At what point is he just ripping off himself? Like, <laughs> like is that possible? Look, if he's traveling through time and he influenced everything, then he just like is just ripping off himself. Because I think, okay, so I think one thing about Lenny that's kind of like cool and makes him cool is that some people, okay, so some people are just cool. Mm-hmm. And you can't do anything about it. It's the thing. It's the argument I have I have with like a lot of my friends about Diplo. Hmm. Some people are just cool. You can't describe it. You can't like write it down. You can't like mix it up and present it. And when cool people, and sometimes cool people because they're just cool, which means that they have an overarching understanding of culture in which they can find a certain unique space between multiple cultures and just stand up, and no one has anything to say. Yeah. No one can knock them down. So you have that level of cool. You could play a guitar chord and it just hits because you know all the chords and you know the one space that nobody's hit yet. Mm-hmm. And you know how to tune your guitar because you've figured out the tunings, you've figured out everything and you just boom. And there it is. Mm-hmm. And it's just cool. Well, he's got this, you know, we cannot not talk about his live stage performances and his presence as a performer here and he perfects this i think in the many ways on the again i keep talking about this tour like this was huge like he's he's playing stadiums and doing the rock god thing right you know and and um cindy cindy blackman who who played with him you know this was the first time she was out of the jazz clubs right like she was like literally the first show she did with Lenny, she does with Lenny. It's like tens of thousands of people. And she's like, Oh shit. You know, like that. And that choice. In Cindy. Yeah. There's no need for a jazz drummer on this stuff. Right. And that choice was like very much makes it's why it's important. Right. Well, and what was frustrating, what's frustrating about the narrative around, Cindy being on this tour and being now like directly associated with Lenny is like at the time in particular, she was kind of just being discussed as a novelty. Like, oh, he's got this dope woman drummer on the tour. And that's what the focus of the conversation was. And again, a lot of people just assume that she's playing on the records because she's in the videos and she's on the stage. Um, And it wasn't the conversation wasn't about her talent as a drummer. It was just like, oh, he's got a black woman drumming for him. And again, it was this the 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 power and the the it was it wasn't given to her, you know what I mean? Like yeah. no yeah, matter yeah. how we were talking about her as a drummer, and again, I was thirteen and I caught on to this. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't about her; it was just about him picking her. Yeah, which is fucked up because she's got a whole body of work 
and, and a skill set outside of Lenny Kravitz. Oh. And again, that 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 puts. But that's that, how we that treat puts, women instrumentalists. Puts, yeah, period, it is. So. It is. And again, that puts so much of this <laughs> on us so. because of of the narratives that we pursue, and instead of just like. Uh, or that well, we're being that we're being fed. Or, or that we're, yeah, well, the narratives or, that, that we're we being as fed, consumers that, are being fed by the people correct. who are writing about these records. Correct. Instead of just saying like narratives, this, is, this yeah, narratives. Instead <laughs> of just saying this this fucking rad and this and actually looking for the reason why he has there that. Right, like he didn't just pick her because she's pretty. No, like no, okay, <laughs> he picked so, her because I mean, she's I a actually, she's a stone I actually remember badass. somebody talking about it somewhere. I don't remember what it was, but it was like, oh well. Well, did he have to teach her how to play drums in order to be in the video? See, and I want to be like, yo. That no. person canceled themselves. Okay. Well, so, so a thing. Um, Keith Moon, directly mm-hmm. inspired by Art Blakey. It's just yeah. a thing. So like all of the great rock drummers were all influenced by jazz drummers. Correct. So if you're an actual rock star and you could put a jazz drummer in your band, this is just a logical thing to do. Yeah. Because it's like, it's like, let the circle be unbroken. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning and see what happens when we do this again. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, uh, yeah. Hopefully, like, God, yeah, somebody needs to recontextualize <laughs> that for people. I mean, we just minorly did. I might, like, I might, you know what I might do? And I'll put this on the podcast so that I actually do it. Yeah. I'm going to re, I'm going to re-review the record. Okay. Yeah. Good idea. Do it. Because it don't, and it's worth it. It should be. The, the You never know if it's how you change. You were a kid. Mm-hmm. I was not a kid. You weren't a kid either. No. Uh, but you were certainly in a different situation. Yeah. And you never know how that changes or like, where's the catch up? Do we catch up to art or does it catch up to us? This would have gotten, like, gotten a 3.8 on Pitchfork. It w- yes. That's actually, yes. That's what I'm saying. Real shit. So we got a three point eight on Pitchfork, and they would have said everything that that you should celebrate this and artists who are willing to do stuff like this for. It would have gotten, a, you know, <laughs> real talk. Yeah, are you going to go my way? Would have been called derivative trash. Yep, I might not be. I might be mad about the Justin Timberlake review. Still, I don't know. I might be. Could be. I am. You should be. <laughs> Although, you know, yeah. The, Justin Pink and Purple That's the gross song Yeah Neither here nor there We aren't talking about Jason 7.2 Right For the Justin So as we as we wrap this up uh, What are you guys Final thoughts on, on Are we gonna Go my way I would love To To Have Not us Have some Like It's fascinating to me To think about All the bits and pieces Of this record mm-hmm. Of this album And it would be Amazing to me To kind of Treat it like how how we treat um, how we dissect tracks in hip hop for their sampling. Yeah, like wouldn't it be fascinating to dissect these songs in terms of like all the the influences and the 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 oh that's a Ringo you know this or that's a Jimmy that or whatever. Just work up an anthropology. Of like it, it yeah. would be amazing to me. Can we if get only- J Period to make a mixtape of all the samples? Ooh, uh oh. Let me let me yeah, make a note I of mean, that. I'm just saying because. Okay, so like when I was a young writer, this guy Jay Period, he's an amazing DJ, he's an amazing he's a good musicologist. I know that. Yes, I so know that. I'm making a so I'm saying there's a thing that that, that that's important in in mixtape and in modern culture that God people should just do these on all the discologists. They just should. 
Because yeah. when we talk about these ones that are like influenced by multiple things, it's the fact that you can go back and hear all this stuff and hear all the influences. And when you hear all the influences now, which you, which you couldn't do in 1993, which as a reviewer, when I critically review this record, will stick out in my head. You can't, you couldn't have done that in 1993. So if you go back and you can Well, we also hear, didn't, like, we weren't in the future where he was in 1993. No, not even we were only in the present. Yeah, he was, he was here then. Yeah. So it's, it's a... Yeah, that cannot be stated enough. <laughs> <laughs> he was right now. He was right now in nineteen ninety three. We could understand the the present to a certain degree and a, and a bit about the past, but but we were not existing in three places at once. Right. So it's 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 fascinating because when you understand where all the tones and all the melodies and all of the bass lines and all of like the standout solo you know instrumental performances come from, then this record becomes like the best record because it just is because there's like a note perfect Mm -hmm. like level of perfection here that isn't like strictly reached like you talk about a lot of artists sometimes who are like oh well they strictly sat down and tried to do this thing he wrote are you gonna go my way in five minutes yeah it's crazy yeah and i i think um i mean for me this is uh first of all this is like my this is my new favorite jam. <laughs> uh, this is my favorite album of 2018. <laughs> um, and, and, and I would Im- implore anybody listening to try and experience it that way. We, instead of looking at music, because uh, music is time travel, let's, let's be clear. Instead of looking at music as like this thing that happened, you can't celebrate classic rock and not like, listen to what makes you happy. If this doesn't make you happy, I don't necessarily want you in my basement, but that's okay. That's fine. Um, it, it just uh, it ticks all the boxes stylistically of what should appeals to me definitely, but should appeal to you. But it also ticks all the boxes on how to do it right, right. And that is irrespective of commercial success. That is irrespective of awards, even though it had both. Um, you can look to this album now, twenty five later, and be like, hey. Here's a high point for part of our culture that this thing exists in a way that you can't with a lot of stuff. And um, that alone, it, it needs to be celebrated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's beauty in simplicity. Yeah. And that's a, a, a constant theme on this album. And that, that's not saying that it's not, um, as we've already kind of talked about, like there is a high level of skill here. Yeah. But we also have to keep in mind that sometimes um, – especially with with you know a rock and roll or rhythm and blues or blues tradition like sometimes the simplicity is the most challenging part of it all yep and to be able to kind of you know walk that line successfully with with what is happening on this album is a really beautiful thing and we always you know this this current climate of um musical output and um, the, how much we need it and how much we need commentary and reaction and, and, mm-hmm. and you know, it's, it's crucial to what's happening in the world right now. Like, we need that relationship with music. But we also sometimes need a moment like this, and I've said this before, where it's like, it's okay to let go. You know, it's yeah. okay yep. to be celebratory of love, of, of life, of whatever. And the way that that this album is infused with that joy, but also with an element of resistance and also an element, you know, like there are all of these things coming together in a very beautiful way here. And 
um, that's kind of what I appreciate about this, listening to it for the past couple of days in, in particular, has kind of reminded me of that. Like, it's all right to just literally get up and dance to a song and, it, in the mo- and be in the moment. It felt and good, right? It feels good. It feels great. And, and I always go back to this, this kind of notion, and I say this all the time, and you guys have heard it a million times already, but this notion of, of a song creating a moment for the listener and creating a moment for the person who is experiencing what the artist is creating. Yep. And it's going to be different for everybody. But this, this album in general, I think just has a lasting impression because it is all of the above in yeah. so many ways. And it, that doesn't mean that it's um, any less necessary for us today because it's not like the bold statement album or the, you yeah. know, like cr- harsh critique on the world or whatever. Who the fuck cares? Like, yeah, just, you know, we still need it. We so, absolutely still need it. So I, I just wanted to add in real quick. Okay. Sometimes it's important as a creative to just love and rub a dub. <laughs> yes. Yes. And with that, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. Uh, have there a wonderful go. day. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> go on. Marcus Dowling with the last, <laughs> the final last word. And uh, thank you guys for hanging out. Hopefully it's been a minute, Timothy. So hopefully it won't be uh, too long. I know we we talked about some stuff we got to talk about. Oh, we have a lot then, to talk uh, about. So uh, nineteen ninety three was a big year. Yes, it was. There's other years, just thirty year anniversaries, thirty five. You're 30, old yeah, like me, but forty. We for whatever reason we've been on this ninety three like yeah, wavelength. Yeah, it, it was, it was a, a great good year, year. But yes, there are there are many things yet to be discussed. I'm very excited. Do you want to come back for the Counting Crows one? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Is it okay if Adam Duritz comes on the Counting yeah, Crows? Yeah, I was. I, okay. One of the best shows I've ever seen was the Black Crows at the Nine Thirty Club. No, Counting Crows. I mean, no. Oh, you said count. I think said Counting Black Crows. Counting Crows. Counting Crows. The, yeah. I think it's not Counting Crows. So August and everything after. <laughs> yes, August oh, and everything that's after. That's a whole other chapter of my life. Oh, well, we're gonna get to that. Guys. But, uh, but 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 but. Um, oh. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys for hanging out, and yes. uh, it won't be too long before we hang out again. And uh, we're gonna take a quick break and be right back after these. If you wanted to got it, you just got to believe. Believe in yourself. Cause it's all just a game. We just want to be loved. Always a great, great time hanging out with Timothy and Marcus down here. Um can't wait to set up another one of these we're we're trying to space them out a little bit and uh there's you know because what we want to bring you here on the show is obviously newer albums you heard lucy dacus's our chat about that about her album uh historian earlier this week if you haven't and if you haven't heard that album get to it it's amazing um but then uh you know put in some older stuff put in some uh get you in our headspace of how we dig into music you know for every new album that we hear we have to go back to older albums to see hey why does that sound like this album that i remember and it's uh it's just an ongoing process that i think all of us share uh and it it, uh it makes makes my life better makes their lives better i could make your life better but but yeah so we like to bring all that stuff to you to make it's just a big conversation about music it's ongoing there's never a start or an end point uh, it just is out there in the universe, uh, much like uh, this podcast just is about over. Um, if you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. That is Apple Podcasts now. 
uh, leave us a rating or a message there. And uh, and you know we we appreciate all your feedback on these. You can also if you if you want to interact directly, there's a comment section on the site at www.chunkyglasses.com in the post, but also email me at podcast@chunkyglasses.com and and uh, put the subject line in there which podcast you're referring to, which artist you want to talk about, and uh, or if you have one that you want to talk about and come down here in the Washington D.C. area or actually now beyond, I think we can do mobile now, uh, like over the internet. Um, yeah, hit me up and uh, maybe we'll set something up uh, it's not hard you just have to like love music and uh, want to talk about it uh, you can also listen to us on Google Play Mixcloud Stitcher and Spotify uh, we are always thankful to our podcast host Pippa Pippa.io uh, they just refreshed their uh, their look on the site uh, always changing always growing and consistently great since we switched over about a year and a half ago now uh, they uh small fee they'll get you up and going they'll answer any questions and uh it's exciting to see them grow and just kick ass Uh, also last but not least you are listening right now underneath my voice to the smooth sounds of aquatic gardener aka jamal gray find him in dc make him your friend talk to him about art uh he is he is as they say the plug um but this project was done uh about now a year and a half two years ago i think and a bunch of found sounds he turned into beats, and it's fantastic. It's up on Bandcamp. Link in the show notes. That's it. We are out of here. Uh, we'll be back in a few short days. Until then, be good to your ears. Be better to your people. We will talk to you soon. Kenobi! <laughs> 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 <laughs>